As NASA's first Latino astronaut, he traveled to space seven times and spent an impressive 1,600 hours away from Earth. Now he's developing a new kind of rocket that will help open up the solar system to human exploration. Former NASA astronaut and rocket scientist Franklin Chang Diaz. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This is One on One. Franklin Chang Diaz, the astronaut, been in space seven times. What an honor it is to I have to touch you. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Welcome well, thank you, Maria. to our It's a program. pleasure to be here with you. you. I mean, no, seriously, it's like, when do you get to meet somebody who's actually orbited, who's been in space? It's, it's an extraordinary thing. Do you feel kind of extraordinary most well, of the Well, you know, time? it's something that I was really not prepared for. You know, that, that sort of attention that uh, we, we get as people who have flown in space, uh, less now than it used to be, but still significant, uh, was something that I was not quite prepared for. You mean because of the fact so, that, like for you, you are the first Latino astronaut from the United States, um, but you actually are from Costa Rica. Your name, I love your name. So Franklin from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Roosevelt, that's right. Chang from your grandfather. From China. From China. Yes. And Diaz, Diaz from, from your... Maternal. Maternal Grandfather from, from Spain. From Spain. Costa Rica, actually. And then Costa Rica. Yeah. You are like the so Raza a bit Cosmica. Of a, a little bit of a mix there. <laughs> what is that like to... I mean, you say that it's a little uncomfortable to be seen as something special, but again, to be seen as someone, some person special in, in three entirely different countries is pretty extraordinary. Well, it's a, it's a very big responsibility in some ways, uh, mainly to the young people. Because, you know, we um, become sort of role models. and Sort we, of? Well, we would like to be <laughs> good ro role models as the role models that we had when we were growing up. And uh, for me, you know, I always wanted to be an astronaut ever since I was little. And, um, but I was not really mentally prepared for the responsibility of being in such a limelight. But how is it, because you know, all little girls and boys, more so now girls and boys, but you know, play with the rockets and, but I want to know how you actually were like, no, 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 then this is something that I'm actually going to do. I'm actually going to study and I believe that I will actually get to space. What makes that that like leap for you versus another little boy or girl who is fascinated but you know doesn't become an astronaut? Well you know I, I am stubborn. That's one thing that I do have um, and um, I think every young child pretty much is born you know with an explorer's mind. I mean the, the child explores and then little by little um, maybe through the environment and the, family, parents, the friends. It gets kind of cased in, boxed in to certain ways. And, and I think I was lucky to have um, a set of parents that never really boxed me in, that always you know, let me sort of find my way. 
And, and they um, were poor. You were a very humble background. Humble background, yeah. We were not nothing special. My, neither one of my parents went to college or even finished high school. But you did, you were sent to the best schools. I was sent to the best schools in Costa Rica uh, because my parents uh, were strong believers in education as, as the vehicle, uh, you know, the legacy they can really give me and um, as a vehicle for me to, to succeed and to reach whatever it is that, you know, that I wanted to reach. And my mother, um, being the smart woman that she is, uh, you know, said, oh, you want to be an astronaut? Yes, of course, but you have to study. You have to be an engineer. Mm. You have to really be a scientist if you really want to be an astronaut. So she understood so the she kind she of understood steps. the context, and she was able to kind of put me in a path that would allow me to succeed uh, regardless of whether or not I, I made it. I love your mom. There's a clip of your mom talking um, where she's so cute because she says, I am the only mother in all of Costa Rica can, that can say I am the mother of an astronaut. That's right. That's right. She's, she's a cute. She's as cute as smart. She's so very smart. And uh, a person that really, um, uh, really was, was, um, probably the most significant force that uh, really shaped my destiny. Your mom? My mom. She was the one, the one individual that was always there to, you know, comfort me whenever I failed and, you know, tell me, well, look, just get up and keep going and, you know, you'll, you'll succeed eventually. But was it, was it your dad, in fact, who bought you the one-way ticket? Yes, my dad, my dad One-way ticket to Connecticut. To, to the United States. To the United yes. States. My dad uh, was the figure of the uh, superhuman individual who was not afraid of anything, who would face uh, adversity with, you know, complete uh, uh, stoicism and um, was completely sure of himself. A person who never really studied, he never really went to, to high school. What did he do? What kind of he work was, did he He was do? like a foreman. He worked in... Uh, in construction, very large um, roads, bridges. So know, an engineer. Sort of like an engineer, Self yeah. Self-taught. And um, but he was a, a, you know, the sort of the, I guess the image that we all have of the Latino, you know, macho man. I mean, he was. But like macho huge. in the positive sense. Macho in, in yes, in a very um, sort of um, manhood sense, and that. Uh, Provider. Being able to not be um, afraid of anything, to always uh, face the reality with a tremendous amount of self-assurance that he would somehow overcome. And I think that those kinds of tools uh, were given to me, uh, maybe by his example, which allowed me to go into the United States and, and succeed there. No, no, and I love this story of when you're in high school in Connecticut and you know, here you are, and you're, you're going to high school every day in a suit and a tie. <laughs> and everybody thought that was really quite unique. They probably thought you were an extraordinary nerd. Am I right? <laughs> Actually, you know, I was confused with, 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 with the teachers. <laughs> there, was, and there were times when uh, the students would say, hello, sir. <laughs> and I was, I, just, I was just one of them. And you actually taught yourself by immersion how to speak English. Yes, I was... Uh, you were you know, how old I, at that time? I was 18. I arrived in the U.S. Uh, like many immigrants. And, uh, this is nothing new, really. I mean, this is the, the land where people come and... And, and, and you arrived with and a I, visa? I arrived with a visa. A student to, visa? To, to, uh, well, I actually was uh, taken in by a family 
of uh, relatives of, our, of ours, who, and I became their dependent. And in those days, uh, that was enough. Wow. You got essentially an immigrant visa, and I was able to go to a high school that was a public high school. That's a very different, very unique, very, very different, different from time what it is today. From what it, I mean, when you think of, of let's say, uh, a young man like yourself growing up in Costa Rica, let's just say, who has dreams, who wants to go to the moon. And then he realizes that the only way he can do that is by coming to the United States. Do his doors close right immediately? Because he says, listen, I know what's happening in that country in terms of immigration and immigrants. I'll never make it in. And do you see some well, of them maybe? The, the world is a different place. Um, I mean, the, the formula in those days was to come to the United States or go to the Soviet Union. Those mm -hmm. were the only two players. Nowadays, um, the whole world is opening up to space. I mean, there's, um, there's China, there is uh, Japan, there is uh, the European countries have their astronauts as well. Uh, Malaysia has an astronaut. Uh, there's, there's a whole um, sort of growing up that's taking place, and so the wor world is a different place. And the solution to a, an immigrant or a person who wants to go into space is a different solution today than, than what it would be. Do, do, you, do you think that's a wonderful thing, or is there a part of you that thinks, you know, NASA is like the preeminent, you know, space exploration? Uh, maybe it's too bad that, you know, more people aren't going to be coming to this country to work with NASA to develop NASA to make it, and instead they may choose to work for other countries or their home countries. Well, in a way, that's, that's, that's really s something that's happening. Mm -hmm. And in, in some ways, it has been a result of the space program. The space program in some ways has almost leveled the playing field. That is, um, today uh, scientists, engineers can do science and engineering pretty much anywhere on the planet because you have access to instant communications pretty much anywhere. In fact, today we do rocket research in Costa Rica, of all places. You know, you would never imagine that you know, we would have a rocket research facility in the and northwestern that, part of Costa that, Rica. That's actually yeah. through your own company and you're working in Costa Rica and the United States. That's right, but, but I think the, the, the point is that um, space is, is really a world endeavor. It's no longer the work of two countries and the rest of us just are there just to witness this beautiful thing that's happening to the human race. But, it, you know, we are in the bleachers watching the game and the ones that are playing the game are only two, uh, two countries. That's not, no longer the case. Everybody can get in the game now because if you have access to good uh, science, information, education, you can play the game. So let me, I, I want to just return to one thing because, um, you know, the fact that you are, and again, Franklin, um, you represent so much of, of our human race. You know, again, just everything that, that makes a part of you, you know, Chinese, European, um, indigenous from Costa Rica, Costa Rica um, now, you know, the United States. Um, I mean, there is, there is something to be said about the fact that people supported you in that way. They, in fact, helped you. You've probably heard about the DREAM Act in this country. In a way, you were like the first recipient mm -hmm. of the actual DREAM Act because you were, in essence, undocumented. You needed to be kind of brought in and supported. And people in the state of Connecticut mm -hmm. In exactly the year, what, what year was that? That was in 69. They, and the yeah. entire state of Connecticut yeah. said, we want to support Franklin Chang Diaz. 
He may not have official papers, but he was welcomed here. Absolutely. And we are going to put our entire state behind him. And my God, look what we got in return. So so very much the land of opportunity. And, you know, this is what we really ought to return to. You know, let the country um, bring in all this, you know, masses of people who really want to make a better life because this is the fresh new blood that this country uh, uses to grow. You know, if we don't do that, we basically stagnate. So um, I am uh, very strongly in favor of uh, a more open policy for the United States. And um, I think in some ways we closing our borders is, is bad news for us. I, I wonder how your perspective as an astronaut kind of informs that perspective. Well, the other thing, Maria, is that, um, like I said, the world has changed. And now um, we, we, we look at ourselves as citizens of a planet, not, not citizens of, of a country. And so I don't see myself as much as a citizen of the United States or a citizen of Costa Rica. I just see uh, myself as a citizen of the planet Earth. And the more you go out and fly in space, the more you realize that, you know, this little ball is really our home and that we're all really in it. And all these borders that are, have been drawn, you know, are really sort of ir- irrelevant at this point. There's a saying that um, one of my heroes, uh, John Young, often says that when you um, are on, on your way to Mars, you're going to spend most of your time looking out the window at this one little point of light that is the place where you came from. And this other little point of light, which is the place that you're going to, and he says, this is going to redefine loneliness. And I think he's right. Oh my God, that's yeah. extraordinary. I is remember, it? you know, just we were talking offset about what it does to you as a human being. Again, and I love the fact that you're like, I'm not a citizen primarily of any one place, but of this, this planet. What it does to you to, to have that distance how it affects you, um, you know, does it make you, does it make you incredibly hopeful or does it make you a little sad, especially when you can, you were saying that even from space, you can see the geopolitics. You can see changes. Uh, I, I had the good fortune of, you know, having flown so many times in the first flights in in the mid 80s and then the last uh, flight in the early 2000s. And, you know, the the world has changed and you see the, uh, you know, the the weight of humanity on the planet, Uh, certainly from the the distance at which we fly, you know, the the orbit of the space. It looks like you see, for example, the uh, ravages of deforestation in one country versus another. They say oftentimes, they used to say sort of romantically that from space you cannot see the borders between nations, and that's not true. For example, you can see very clearly the the, uh, border between Egypt and Israel having to do with the, the, the way that they handle water. You can see very well the, the border between the United States and Mexico. You can see the border between uh, Guatemala and, and Mexico. And so um, the, those three, like what, what do you yeah, see the United States in terms of? The density of crops in the north of the Rio Grande is much, is much higher. And uh, the density of crops in the south of the border is not as high. Mm. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's a noticeable, uh, and because you're looking at it from such a distance, you see it as a straight line. And nature usually doesn't make straight lines like that. You see borders uh, between states in Brazil, for example, where, you know, deforestation is taking place in one, in one state and not in the other. Um, why? It has to do with the way people live, the way people, you know, decide. So to now you, you, you could have made a choice um, to become, let's say, a human rights activist traveling the world talking about, you know, um, land usage and human rights. But in fact, you have been working for 32 years That's true. on developing a rocket that is powered in a different way than regular rockets that would get us to Mars your way, 39 days, and I love the way you say very fast. I'm like, okay, 39 days to Mars versus a total of how many months? Seven or eight months, typically in a mission today. Yes. And you actually have been working on this for 32 years. So how close are, are you meeting deadline? <laughs> we are actually. We um, have uh, now fire. We're, we're firing this rocket in the laboratory in our facilities in Houston. We have a we have a, a research facility there. The company has it, and we call it the Vasimir engine. And the particular engine that we are testing is called the the VX200. It's got its own little designation. It's a 200 kilowatt engine. It's the most powerful plasma rocket in operation in the world today. So yeah. for those of us who are not, you know, physicists and walk around thinking, so a plasma powered rocket versus? A chemical rocket. A chemical rocket. Typically what the rockets that we see launching from Cape Kennedy or whatever they see on TV are chemical rockets. They've been around for, you know, almost a century now. And, um, this technology is the technology that um, took us to the moon, got us to the moon, you know, gets the space station orbiting. Uh, but it's not the technology that's going to really get us to Mars. It is too slow. But and if people have known this for so long that it's too slow, how come we have continued to hear that NASA is working on trying to get to Mars when you're basically saying, yeah, they have been, but everybody knows that it's going to take too long and therefore cost a lot more money and probably not be green yeah. if there is such a thing. Well, you know, NASA, just like very, a uh, very large organization, is very hard to turn. Um, as they say, it's a ship, you know, <laughs> which is moving and has a tremendous amount of inertia. And it's very difficult to make a, a course, a significant course correction. Now, President Obama has uh, outlined um, new uh, guidelines for NASA having to do with what they call game-changing technologies. You know, focus on the technology, not so much in the mission right now, but on the technology that enables the mission. And you think that that's and the I right thing? I think way? that is the right thing to do. Uh, I think it is sort of strong medicine going on right now, and I think that the, the agency is, uh, is, is suffering from this uh, very strong dose of uh, very strong <laughs> medicine, mm. but it's a necessary change. Is something that we should have done, you know, 10 years ago or more. Well, well but for, for those people who just say, you know what, why would humans who are not doing such a good job of taking care of this ball, as you say, this little ball that you see from so far away, our planet, we're not doing such a good job. I mean, we have wars, we have environmental destruction, why would we want to export that to Mars that looks so beautiful from down here? Why would we want, why would you want to do well, that? Well, I mean, really, space exploration is all about survival. 
really. It's about survival of humanity, and we have no choice. Uh, we have to explore. In fact, the space program really, I say often, began when people walk out, w walked out of their caves. This is the first time that people actually went out to explore, and the frontier has been pushed further and further. But um, I think that in exploring space, we are ensuring our survival. And uh, people talk about, you know, the destination. We're going to go to Mars. We're going to go to, you know, an asteroid. You know, we are going to the stars. That's where we're going. These are all, the other ones are just simple waypoints. We're going to the stars. And tell me how, by going to the stars, that is ensuring our human survival. As, again, I quote my hero, uh, John Young, who says, uh, we are a species with no redundancy. That is, human species. If something happens to our planet, we are history. In fact, it's a history no one can write. You know, if our planet were to be hit by a collision with a, an asteroid or be um, suffered from you know, a super earthquake or some major catastrophe on the planet, uh, we have no place to go. Humanity as a whole is confined to this one spacecraft. We, have a, we are a single planet species. And uh, we need to remedy that. As every space uh, person knows, uh, you always have to have redundancy. And you really want to, to let uh, humanity explore and move out into, into space. But I immediately wonder, I'm like, well, I don't know if I would have the money to pay for a ticket to get to Mars. Exactly. And therefore, that only the elite, well, the super elite. It is now the super elite. That's who, who flies right now. But if uh, we do this, then the same thing that's happening today with air travel. Oh, please, no. <laughs> the image of getting to space looking like an airport in the United States of America is just kind of scary. <laughs> How do you live with, I mean, you actually know this, Franklin Chang-Diaz. You know that something catastrophic, in fact, could happen to our Earth, not our country, our Earth, our yeah. universe, at any moment. Yeah. You walk around with that. Sure. Uh, it, you know, we are not really that important in, in sort of in the cosmic, uh, you know, big picture, um, planets come and go. And, uh, you know, humanity is not really such an important element in the, in the makeup of the universe. And so is, and is we that could easily disappear without any, uh, oh, anything important happening. That's to, so hard to hear. <laughs> so. but, but do you believe that there is life beyond? Well, you know, we have never, we have not found it, but I, I find it that it would be more extraordinary if we really truly were alone. Mm. Because you look at the you look at the uh, you know the stars in the sky, and the more we find you know the the the, the, the tremendous amount of stars and, and planets around these stars, we are not in the center of anything. We're not in any special place. We live in a very sort of unimportant corner of our galaxy, <laughs> and there's no reason why we would have to be the only ones that exist here. So I have a feeling that uh, life uh, outside of the Earth is, is more the norm than the exception. 
that actually the universe is, is teeming with life. Wow. And that we are going to find it eventually when we learn to travel fast. But if we can get a rocket that maybe might, maybe might make its way to Mars, how is it possible that we haven't really found that life beyond? Mars is just around the corner. I mean, Mars is just the beginning of our exploration. There is a lot more to explore. And we may find that uh, in this solar system, which is just a little tiny speck in the entire universe, that we may be the only ones as mm. a civilization. Mm. But that doesn't say anything about all the other so-called extrasolar planets, all these other you know, nearby stars who could have um, living conditions very similar to Earth. And so we just have to develop the means to transport ourselves to these places. Now, obviously, we're not going to do it in the next few years, but we've got to start. We've got to start right now. So, Franklin, before I let you go, I'm sure that there will be some young people who are watching this and you know the importance of, you know, especially as an astronaut, to putting that hope in one of those, those children who have a dream like you did. So what do you want to say to these young kids who are thinking, I, you know, I really want to go to space, but my school isn't good, uh, you know, my family life, or it's just I find it too hard, but I really want to go. Well, I what do you what say I, to them? What I say to them, if, you know, if I could make it, you certainly can make it. I was not a model student. I never was. I was not the, the, at the bottom of the class, but I was not at the top of the class. I was just a regular kid, a normal kid that had the benefit of great parents. And I often say, no one gets anywhere with some, without someone else's help. And I had plenty of help. And I think lots of people are out there to help. So, you know, kids, go for it. You Dream. Know? And dream, dream about it and do it and make your dreams happen. You know, the first human being that will ha uh, walk on Mars is a young girl or a young boy about maybe 10, 15 years old. And they're probably sitting in some classroom today, you know, wondering what they're going to do with their life. Imagine that. Okay, I will. Franklin Chang Diaz, thank you so much for joining us. Again, touching someone who's been to space. Thank you for all of your work. Okay. Thank you. Continue the conversation at wgbh.org slash one-on-one. -on -one.